This old clay's gonna give way to glory. And like an eagle, I'll take to the sky. And the sun's coming up in the morning. Every tear will be gone from my eye. This old clay's gonna give way to glory. And like an eagle, I'll take to the sky. Amen. I certainly enjoy that singing. That's good songs there tonight. I like that. I like that horn playing today. Wasn't that good? I like that. Man, that was all right. I enjoyed that. All right, let's go ahead and take our Bibles tonight. Turn over the book of Revelation. Again, we're so thrilled, so glad to have each of you with us tonight. If you're visiting with us, you're our guest tonight. We are especially thankful, grateful for you making your way here tonight. And uh, we're glad you could be a part of the service. Well, we hope before the end of the service you'll be able to say, as the psalmist did, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And so we'll go ahead and see what we can't do about that. I think so far I'm pretty glad I'm here, and i got to believe you are too. Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read, starting there, and we're going to read basically <clears throat> through at least verse, well, 17, maybe even go a little bit further. But we're going to read a greater portion of this chapter tonight here this evening. So let's go ahead, um, chapter 22, uh, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, And he shewed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, was on, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. The servant shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. The Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to shew unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. When I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which shewed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. He saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments.
that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. But without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. We're going to end right there. But as we look at this particular passage in the book of Revelation chapter 22... We note that the setting of this passage is future. The fact is, is that the church age in which we now dwell and in which we live, this dispensation of grace, it is often called, is a time period that has lasted already 2,000 years. So we have the church age over here, of which we are still presently in. The next thing to take place will be, as we mentioned last week, the rapture of the church kicking off the seven-year tribulation. So we have the church age in which we now live. We have the rapture or catching away of the church, the body of Christ, the beginning or the seven-year tribulation at that point, kicking off. And for seven years, of course, God will judge both the world and His people, and God will ultimately bring about uh, a purging, if you will, uh, that will truly be a horrific scene. So for seven years we have tribulation. Then at the end of seven years we have the return of Jesus Christ or often referred to as the revelation of Christ. This time he doesn't just stop at the clouds calling us up. This time he comes to the earth to assume his rightful place on the throne of David to rule and reign with a rod of iron. For 1,000 years called the millennium he will rule and reign So we have the church age that has lasted almost 2,000 years from the cross to present. We're awaiting the trumpet, the return of Jesus Christ in the clouds to take up his church in the rapture, the seven-year tribulation, and then we have the return of Christ or the revelation where he now returns to the earth, assumes his rightful place on the throne of David, rules with a rod of iron. Then... We have Armageddon taking place at that point. And then the millennium kicks off 1,000 years. So that 1,000 year reign now. At the end of the 1,000 years, Satan will be loosed again for just a season. He'll go about deceiving the nations one more time. What we will find is that there will be a number of people who had feigned faith or whose faith was not rooted and grounded in Christ, but rooted and grounded in basically preservation. They just wanted to be safe. They just wanted to feel comfortable. They just wanted not, they just did not want the wrath of God on their life. So they went ahead and obeyed the rules. They did what they were supposed to do just simply so that the rod and wrath of God would not be poured upon them during the millennium. They didn't truly believe They didn't truly have faith. They didn't really want Christ ruling over them. 
and Satan will deceive them, and a battle will ensue, and ultimately, Christ again comes out victor. Now a new heaven and a new earth. And a new Jerusalem. And that is where we pick up in our passage now. So we've gone all the way into history. We now have the present, the church age, or dispensation of grace. We have the rapture of the church, the tribulation. We have the revelation of Christ. And we have Armageddon. We have the thousand-year millennium. And then we have Satan loosed. We have a great battle that ensues. And ultimately... Christ comes out victor, there's a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. <clears throat> so that's what we find, and that's where we're at in our passage now. And he shewed me a river, pure river of water, the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life. We are now in this new Jerusalem. And we are receiving a description of this new Jerusalem. Chapter 22 is a continuation of chapter 21. And it, once again, it is simply a description of this holy city, New Jerusalem. There are walls of jasper in this city. There are streets of gold. There are the gates of pearl. And there is the foundation of precious stones. This is a celestial city a heavenly city, a city where there are no locks and there are no keys. There, are no, there is no sin and there are no sinners. And as we will find, there are a few other wonderful characteristics that certainly we have to look forward to. And in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, the Bible says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. In our particular passage, verse 17, we find an invitation. We see an invitation. The Spirit and the bride say, come. An invitation. We also see an open door. The Bible says, and whosoever will. So we have the invitation, an open door. The Spirit and the Bride say, come, and whosoever will. Don't you like the idea of a whosoever will? I like that. I like an invitation that includes me. I like an invitation that doesn't exclude others. Isn't it wonderful to know that we serve a God who opens His arms and opens His door to all? Not only that, but we then see a supernatural elixir. Notice it says, let him take the water of life. And then an unbelievable offer. Freely. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we have this invitation, this open door, this supernatural elixir and this unbelievable offer. I mean, the water of life. Let him take of it. Let him take of the water of life freely. You can't beat that. You can't beat that. So before us tonight,
is the water of life. Again, it's a vase of water tonight. But let's suppose, would you please humor me for just a few moments tonight, that this vase was full of the water of life. Can you imagine its worth this evening? Can you imagine its worth tonight? What would the world pay to never die? What price would be too great for the terminal patient? The Ebola victim? Those closest to death without Christ? What would be too great a price? I guess more accurately, maybe the question should be asked, what wouldn't they give for its life-giving properties? Not as many what would be too much, but what wouldn't they give? Time is the most valuable commodity that we possess tonight. And this water would provide an infinite amount of time to anyone who drank of it. Here it is tonight. Here it is, right before you, before your very eyes. The water of life. Imagine what kind of security would be required to protect this vase filled with the most valuable substance on earth. I wonder what kind of security would be needed. I mean, think about the lengths that, the, the length that men and women have gone in order to steal a diamond or possibly precious stones or artifacts of sorts or maybe a valuable collection of, of stamps even. Think about how they've been so ingenious and have figured out ways to circumvent all the security cameras and all of the methods by which man seeks to protect his property. I got to believe, I have to believe that man would even go further to find or to procure this life-giving elixir more than they would any other object on earth. I was doing research again on Fort Knox. Fort Knox, of course, is a pretty popular place you may have or may not have heard of it anymore. I'm not sure if they still teach about it as much, but the vault said to hold 147.3 million ounces of gold. That's $270 billion. You imagine... There in Fort Knox, $270 billion. Of course, there are uh, theorists that say there's no more money there. In 1974, they shipped all the money to Jerusalem and all that stuff. And they got all kind of crazy things. Uh, uh, you know, who knows? They might have said we've given it to the aliens. I don't know. But, but the fact is, is, that, is that there at Fort Knox, at least not too awfully long ago, when they took 100 senators through and so forth and did a little bit of a a check, they said there was still gold there. I hope it's still there. But really, who cares? Honestly, who cares? Like it really matters to us. None of it's ours. Or is it? Maybe it's yours. I don't know. You say, well, if there was no gold there, our economy would fall apart. Really? 
It hasn't already? Are you kidding me? You really think that there's enough gold to back the debt of this nation we live in? But nonetheless, whatever, $270 billion. And you know what? They have it in vault, a vault, a very, very secure vault. Matter of fact, it's the world's hardest shell. That shell's four feet thick. It's granite walls. But it also has, obviously, concrete and all kind of different structures within it. And it's just the most thickest, hardest shell that they could possibly come up with. There are tinted windows that are fireproof. They're bulletproof. There's the front door alone. Just the door weighs 22 tons. And it's made of blast-proof material. They claim you could drop an atomic bomb. A vast virus database has been updated. Penetrate it. So they claim. This foundation that it has, it's multiple levels of concrete layers. And it has a 10-foot thick granite base so that no one can dig up through the base of it. There are multi-focused surveillance systems in the buildings and on the walls and everywhere else you can imagine. There are armed guards that are posted. There's the latest in technology employed to protect this $270 billion, not to mention some of the other artifacts and things that are also in there, like the Magna Carta. And the, 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 uh, the, the United States has our Declaration of Independence there. See, gold is something, however, that you can find elsewhere. Why would you take a chance on trying to penetrate Fort Knox? Why would you try to make your way into that particular place? Oh, you, what are you going to do with the Magna Carta? Who are you going to sell it to? You know, what are you going to do with some of those kind of artifacts? I mean, but, and gold, what are you, I mean, what are you going to take a chance on breaking into there when you could break into the local bank? All I'm saying is, is that even then, no one tries to break in, or at least has not tried to break in, to my knowledge, lately at least, into Fort Knox. Why? Because it's so guarded that it's not worth the risk. But may I say something to you tonight? i got to believe if this right here, this container, the water of life, were in Fort Knox tonight, it would not be safe. I don't believe it'd be safe. Men and women would go to any length to take just a sip of that water there. To add life eternal to a life that is temporary. The water itself is even more valuable, I think, than one may think on the onset. I want you to consider with me to possess this eternal life that we're speaking of that comes through the water of life. It may seem in our present state to be appealing, but it's not nearly as wonderful as the life one will possess as a result of drinking it. Why? Because the Bible tells us that there will be no more curse. Isn't that wonderful? 
In the book of Revelation chapter 21 verse 4, the Bible says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Listen, the labor of our hands will be productive then. The life that we lead will be fruitful then. The future we face will provide us with the greatest of hope and the greatest of expectation. No more death. Can you imagine that with me tonight? No more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. No more night. In this life, no matter how much life you have, fear seems to grip our hearts. The Bible says there'll be no more night there. When I think of night, I think of darkness. Darkness strikes fear into our hearts. That which lurks in the shadows is often the culprit of our greatest fears and greatest hurts. Boy, there'll be no more night there. What a wonderful truth. That means there'll be no more fear. You'll not have to be afraid any longer. Oh, to drink this elixir on this earth and this body and this day and age, we know obviously there's an end to this. However, even if it were eternal in this body and in this circumstance and situation we find ourselves, we would still have to deal with life and we do have to deal with poverty. We'd still have to deal with hurt and horror. We'd still have to deal with fear. And yet still, what price would be too great or what would not be, what would they not give for it? The water of life. The Bible teaches us that to drink that water in that day will not only provide us with no more curse and no more fear, but it'll be a day when we'll be in the very presence of our Lord, our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? That city and that city, there'll be no sin. There'll be no sinners. You'll never have to worry about locking your doors. You'll never have to worry about being ripped off. You'll never have to worry about... I was going to say car salesman, but we have one here. I had to say that. (laughs) Honestly, we won't have to worry about anyone anywhere doing anything to hurt, harm in any way. So what length would mankind go to to get their hands on this water tonight? Money? Time, energy, ingenuity, sacrifice, none of those things would stand in the way of the mind made up to pursue it. So if that's the case tonight, why will so many miss out on its benefits in eternity? Why? See, in order to drink of that water, you must come to Christ. Amen. 
In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, we read, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But you must first come to him. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him, and he with me. In Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The fact is tonight that a person must humble themselves before God, and they must bow the knee. The fact is we cannot come to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, on our own terms. We must come on His terms. We must come to Him, we must invite Him in, and we must call upon Him. Take your Bible, if you would, look up Philippians chapter 2, please, verse 9. There in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, we read, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. There must be a humbleness. There must be a humility. It must be an attitude of begging for mercy, for forgiveness. We do not come to God on our terms. We do not tell God what we will do for that water. He tells us what we will do. It's free, the Bible says. Let him that heareth say, come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. It's free tonight. For anyone who will come to Jesus Christ, for anyone who will open their heart's door, for anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord, it's free tonight. You don't have to break into Fort Knox. You don't have to break into a bank. You don't have to somehow manipulate somebody's mind. All you have to do is trust Christ tonight. But unfortunately, we see the spirit and the attitude of this world as we read in Psalm chapter 2. Turn there if you would please. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Makes no sense to the saved mind, to the enlightened mind, to the one who's trusted and received Christ already. It makes no sense to jeopardize your future. It makes no sense why people would not take gladly of this free elixir, of this life-giving water. But unfortunately... We see in chapter 2 of the book of Psalms the reality of the heart of mankind. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Isn't that an amazing statement? 
the very creation gazes upon the Creator and says, Take your hands off me. You will not tell me what to do. You will not guide and direct me. I will make my own choices, go my own direction, make my own pathway. Break those bands asunder. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. It's not going to turn out good for those who reject the Lord. And there's not one of us that should take pleasure in that thought. However, the Bible, to drive home this truth, says it's so ridiculous for the creation to spit in the face of its creator that he will laugh at them in their derision. And he has every right to do as he pleases. God help us to understand that tonight Although this itself is not the elixir, although this is not literally the water of life, that water of life tonight is made available. That water of life is available tonight to all who will simply come. Open their heart and call upon the name of the Lord. It's that simple. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Don't need your works. Don't need your deeds. Don't need your money. Don't need anything that you have or anything you can offer. God doesn't need it tonight. He offers it freely. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, tonight you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, may you move in our midst. Lord, Father, for just the simple, simple truths of this message. Lord, to think that this water of life that we can drink of, that we can partake of, Father, I know we call it salvation, and that is exactly what it is. I realize I don't have to actually drink water, Lord. I'm not that ignorant. But, Lord, what I do know is that when I drink of you, as you spoke of in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well, I have life eternal. May you help all of these tonight to drink of that elixir, to drink you tonight, to receive you, to accept you, to allow life everlasting to be theirs by faith in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, it is freely given, and it must just simply be received. And tonight there may be those in our midst, Lord, who have yet to trust and receive you as Savior and Lord. Lord, I'd hate to think that they would leave this place without everlasting life, without partaking of the water of life, without receiving this supernatural salvation that is ours for the asking, receiving, and accepting. With every head bowed, I wonder who would say, Preacher, honestly, 
I don't know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. I don't know if, I can't recall a time or place when I personally bowed my knee, humbled my heart, said, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know and realize I could never get to heaven on my own. And I desperately need the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive my sin, to come into my life. I want to call on him. I need to do that. Preacher, that's me. I've never done that, but I am interested. Would you please pray for me? I've never done that, but I'm interested tonight. I've never done that, but I would certainly love to drink of that elixir. Anybody like that tonight? Would you pray for me, preacher? I won't come down and won't get you. Won't do that. Maybe you didn't have the courage to raise your hand tonight. Maybe you just were a little bit embarrassed. You thought maybe somebody was sneaking a peek. Maybe somebody was looking when they shouldn't have been. I wonder tonight, in just a moment when the music plays, if you would just put aside, take Satan's arm off your shoulder tonight, set it down there and say, now, Satan, you just stay right here. I want to get this settled. I want to make sure that I'm, I possess this life-giving water. I want to make sure that I have Christ in my life. I want to make sure heaven's my home. I do not want to sit here and take a chance.